Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, immigration in Minnesota. Bill Werner weighs in on thin ice, and baseball comes to U.S. Bank Stadium. But first, Brownfield reporter Mark Dorenkamp recently interviewed Governor Mark Dayton, who announced a goal earlier this month called 25 by 25. Dayton says the initiative addresses the quality of water in Minnesota, claiming it's deteriorating quickly and something needs to be done. Water is one of our greatest uh, natural resources, but it doesn't do us much good if it's unusable, undrinkable, um, doesn't sustain wildlife, but fishing, like and 40% of our, our waters in Minnesota, the Pollution Control Agency estimates, fall into that category of, of not being uh, safe for, for recreation, for eating fish from them, for drinking uh, the water uh, directly. And so, and in some cases, areas like southwestern Minnesota is over 90%. So we've got a very uh, um, serious, serious uh, situation that's only going to get worse unless we all work together to make it better. And so my goal is to set uh, a 25% improvement in Minnesota's water quality by the year 2025 and um, make it a, a, a effort that enlists Minnesotans all over the state. So rather than a, my particular mandate, top-down, uh, one-size-fits-all, that was a mistake I made with the buffer bill. This is uh, from the ground floor up and we would have town hall meetings over the state uh, later this fall and ask people from all walks of life, farmers, business owners and operators, uh, homeowners, um, everybody, you know, what can what do you think is, is, can you do or your community do to improve water quality and uh, then bring those ideas to another summit in January and prepare legislation for the 2018 legislative session, but have one that hopefully gets everybody involved. And, you know, farmers who, you know, I, I listened carefully to the criticism I received about the buffer legislation where they felt that they were not engaged in the in the process and uh, that it was, as I said, one, sort of a one-size-fits-all mandate. So I, I learned from that, and that's why this one is just the opposite. It's going to engage people from the very beginning, and I'm not laying out any any mandate or even any uh, initiatives at this point. Uh, I wanted those to come from from farmers and from other Minnesotans. So you'll gather that information and then there will be future legislation. So does that mean potentially there there could be regulations of some kind that could impact agriculture in the state? I know you talked uh, at the Water Quality Town Hall in Morris about not backing away from, from the buffer rule and not making any more concessions. So as far as a from a regulatory standpoint, should farmers be anticipating anything new coming from all of this? I'm not. Uh, I have nothing in mind. The only thing I'm focused on now is the providing the through the uh, the bonding bill that I proposed last year that didn't make it through the legislature funds to help smaller communities in, in Greater Minnesota afford the cost of water treatment for the groundwater that they, comes in their communities that's unsafe for human consumption. So that's that's my focus now in this session. It's uh, again to provide help for for people in rural Minnesota, and, and I don't have any plans uh, to add any re- regulations or mandates. Uh, again, I, I don't know what's going to come out of these various uh, 
town hall meetings and this collaborative effort. But you know, I, so we're only going to achieve the kind of improvement in water quality we need to in Minnesota when clean water becomes an ethic and not an edict. And uh, that means that everybody has a sense of responsibility for their part in our current water conditions, and everybody has a sense of responsibility for what, what they can do uh, in their home, in their business, and wherever uh, they're, they're living their lives to improve water quality. Governor Dayton, tell me a little bit about the collaboration that's taken place since the buffer rule was first proposed, you working alongside commodity groups and Minnesota farmers to come up with plans that are going to help improve water quality in the state, but aren't going to unnecessarily burden them. Well, I have an excellent meeting last week with uh, leaders from just about every one of the major farm organizations, Minnesota, the Farmers Union, Farm uh, Farm Bureau had a conflict of a statewide meeting, so that they were engaged with it, uh, corn growers, soybean, uh, um, dairy dairy producers, livestock, everybody, uh, pork producers, everybody was involved, some of the big co-ops, Land O'Lakes, Cargill. Uh, and again, the focus was on, and they have a specific uh, idea, which I support as well, which are farmer-led uh, councils set up in, around the state who would have basically the same intention of getting uh, ideas from people right in their communities, right in their watershed districts, uh, what uh, the, the needs are, what what can be done, what what has to be done to improve water quality. So it's really engaging people all over the state uh, who have the expertise and have the first-hand knowledge and recognize that their, you know, their particular situation is is unique and maybe very different from somebody else's somewhere else. And again, that's one of the lessons I learned from my mistake with the buffer bill. But, uh, you know, the goal is, the, the problem is very serious. It's critical in some parts of the state, as I said before. It's, it's serious when 40% of our waters are uh, unsafe for, for recreation, for, for uh, drinking, for, you know, uh, inability to support fish and wildlife uh, safely. It's just, uh, and it's going to get worse. If we don't make it better, it's going to get worse. Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton. Scott, at the end of the interview, Dayton said he's always been a friend to farmers and reiterated that waters have been impaired by many sources. He's encouraging all Minnesotans to get behind this 25 by 25 effort and hold each other accountable if the state is to attain these ambitious targets. Thank you for that report, Mark. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Technology moves at the speed of innovation, and today, that's lightning fast. So when you get your hands on the latest tech, don't forget to do the right thing with your old devices. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old tech device as easy as purchasing new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the responsible recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find lots of tips to simplify your recycling, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Television sets, video game consoles, smartphones, tablets, they're all recyclable. Don't let them clog up your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. You're sharp enough to get the latest tech tools into your home. Now be responsible enough to get your old devices to the recycler. That's greenergadgets.org. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The sweeping immigration orders being put into effect by the Trump administration have many Minnesota immigrant families on edge. In response, a number of Minnesota churches this week declared themselves sanctuary churches, places where illegal immigrants can go and live long-term if needed. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Leading the sanctuary church effort is Religious Network Isaiah. Joining me now is Minister Janae Bates, Isaiah's Communications Director. Janae, how is the immigrant community doing? What we are finding is our immigrant communities, um, not just now, but throughout pretty much the entire last year, have been having this growing fear. And it's actually quite valid because of the hate rhetoric that has been unleashed in the country. And so what we're finding is that, um, you know, there has been this idea of what a, a criminal immigrant is, what an illegal is, you know, and these are terms that, um, one, don't actually have any real function in reality, um, but then, two, it creates in the imagination of American citizens this uh, unhuman entity that is out to hurt or uh, cause harm to American citizens, and it's just it's false. But that is, you know, what has been determined of what our undocumented community is. And so those who are undocumented go to school with us, go to work with us, uh, worship in our churches and in our um, congregations. And so we recognize that, and I say we as in Isaiah, we as people of faith, um, we recognize that there are neighbors and that in our sacred text, we're called to love the neighbor, to um, treat the, the foreigner as one of our own, as native. And so for us, um, we have created a network of sanctuary and sanctuary supporting congregations. And essentially, these are places of worship who have stated that they and are preparing um, to bring in an undocumented immigrant or um, individual or their family um, to live within their sacred space while we continue to work on getting them the, the proper documentation and ability to stay uh, within the United States. I think I had heard that uh, some of the churches are already hosting families and some are kind of revamping their space uh, to be able to host these families. Is that correct? Not here in Minnesota. Currently, we, um, as far as I know, now there could be some congregations maybe that are outside of um, Isaiah's a list of congregations that may be doing that, but as far as the the twenty five congreg or twenty four congregations that we have, um, they are not currently hosting any any immigrants or their families, um, but they are fully preparing to do so. And uh, as more and more of these uh, policies come out supporting that initial memo, uh, it's far more likely that this is a reality for us moving forward. And so for those of us that might not understand what, um, I, I, you know, we're, we're calling it a, a sanctuary area, do authorities have the right then to come into the church or is, is, is it fully protected by law? So there is a, there's a memo um, and a policy understanding between the community and ICE or Immigration Customs Law Enforcement. Um, and that understanding is that uh, places of worship, 
as well as hospitals and schools are considered sensitive locations. And what that means is that ICE at all costs uh, avoid to enter these spaces for arrest, detaining, or deporting people. Um, and generally, they would only enter if whoever they are pursuing is an immediate dangerous threat. Um, and quite frankly, there's, um, you know, contrary to popular belief, most immigrants did not fall into that category. Uh, so that that's what that means. And uh, uh, Janae, I know that you folks at Isaiah have been working with a, a number of these families. Uh, any any s- personal story that you could share with us on um, on how this is affecting uh, families, whether it be the parents, the kids, and just their everyday life? Yeah, um, what we're finding, so the majority of the undocumented that are here um, in in Minnesota and throughout the U.S., they've been here for over 20 years, which means that they've had time to build a life, to grow into a community, to have families, which also means that many of them are here with mixed-status families. Some of them um, may have come here um, crossing the border uh, without the proper documentation, or they arrived with the proper documentation and that expired. Uh, They have children who are citizens because they were born here. Um, And so, uh, for example, I know we have have a family um, that that attends one of the congregations in Isaiah, and they came here... um, as a child with uh, with their siblings and their mother who crossed the border, uh, and they had a really hard life, um, unfortunately, because of this. But she also recognizes that they could have had a much harder one um, in Mexico where they um, started. And so they ran from poverty, extreme poverty. They ran from, um, you know, rampant crime. And they were able to come here, and um, their mother had to um, forge some documentation in order to properly, uh, I'm sorry, in order to get a job, in order to, you know, provide for their family. Um, And so because of that, um, the mother is considered a criminal and would fall under these, you know, widened um, policies for what uh, Trump believes to be a, a, a criminal worth pursuing and deporting. And you know that it's ridiculous um, that someone who is merely trying to provide for their family um, is now, you know, lumped into this group of criminal. Mind you, that initially when criminal was talked about, you know, you heard things like rapist and murderer and drug cartel, but now we're including people who got a parking ticket and were too poor to pay for it. Like, you know, it's it is. It's really immoral. It's really, you know, reprehensible. It's not right. Thanks again to my guest, Minister Janae Bates, Isaiah's communication director. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. We all want our children to succeed and be remembered. My daughter Deej is remembered here at Byron High School for a tragedy that took her life. 
While driving home from her first day of senior year, Deej decided to write a text message. It was the last message she ever wrote, a message she never sent. 20% of fatalities involving teen drivers are distraction related. One text killed my daughter. I beg you, please put your phones away and focus on the road. If your friends are distracted while driving, speak up. Offer to be their designated texter. Another Deej doesn't need to die. For your life and all the lives on the road, please put the phone down while driving. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The warm weather of the past few weeks has MNN's Bill Werner thinking about something you should not do during a winter like this, taking a walk out onto the ice. It's been a fairly easy winter as they go in Minnesota. But still, it gets kind of long and gray, and I start thinking of spring when I hear about the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers taking their annual ice measurements on Lake Pepin so that barge and towboat companies can figure out how soon they can send the icebreakers through and open up the channel to St. Paul. Nick Lorenz from Fountain City, Wisconsin, is a survey technician for the Corps and has been going out on Lake Pepin with an ice auger for many years, cutting a hole and, I assume, putting a yardstick down it. Drill a hole and you check it, and, you know, sometimes it's 12 inches thick, sometimes it's 28 inches thick, but then, you know, you might get to a spot where there just might be 5 or 6 inches, you know, towards the early part of spring. And then you know that maybe the next time you come back, you know, the the upper four miles of the lake just might be wide open and it gives you a whole new respect as a a sportsman do you think that do you think that you might be out in a boat fishing boat or whatever um kind of around the same spot that you are now uh sometime in the summer (laughs) (laughs) does that ever does that ever cross your mind that crosses your mind every day when you work in the job that i work in so i mean we run survey boats and check depths and see all the good honey holes that you could possibly fishing and you take your map and you make a mental note in your mind and you might come back to it the following weekend and try it. Now I'm not an angler, at least not yet, but around this time of the year I like to think about driving to a good spot, pulling on a pair of old snow boots and walking out onto the last of the ice right into the center of Lake Pepin, that grand swelling in the Father of Waters. Here we all work Long the Mississippi. There are signs here, messages, peeking through the slowly softening ice of the winter. Barn Bluff, barely visible through the haze to the far northwest, now a destination 
for those able to escape the sprawling cities upstream. Don't look up and don't look down. And at my left shoulder, way above, ancient clabbered mansions of old Frontenac. Four square white, green shutters all, spaced along gravel lanes laid out far over the river. This place viewed from a distance is an optical illusion, a geographic anomaly with an unusual name and perhaps a message. I reached the point, I thought, but there was no point. That's the old stream that I long to cross. The echoes are the same from the other side of the river, where the coolies of Rip Van Winkle extend far back into the bluffs around Maiden Rock, and cabins in remote valleys mark abandoned farmsteads, now repurposed, as they say, into spas and retreats for expatriates from the city. There is a certain rhythm here, marked by mile-long trains streaking along each riverbank, bearing their cargo of natural resources and people to the great cities where they will be absorbed. While those pass by remain in these forgotten places, carrying on. And someday... When all of our doings subside, the creeks will still trickle under the late winter ice, rushing to the master stream on its way to the sea. And the spring winds will surely come too, sprouting flowers beneath old trees and green leaves from dizzying heights. All up and down the Mississippi. Minnesota Matters will return in a minute. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right. Which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. One of the caveats to the public funding of U.S. Bank Stadium was the requirement to allow a configuration to play baseball. 
So starting this weekend, college teams from all over the upper Midwest will begin hitting, pitching, fielding, and more under the glass rooftop. That includes the U of M Golden Gophers, who host Seattle on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Viking Stadium. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down this week with the legendary Gopher baseball coach John Anderson. Scott, the Gophers are looking to defend last year's Big Ten Championship, and being able to play a home schedule of games indoors in February and March is a piece of the puzzle that can help them repeat, according to the head coach Anderson. Well, obviously we had a good season last year, and when you have good years and win championships and play in the NCAA tournament, uh, you generally have some older players, and we lost some good players. Not a lot of them, but some good ones, and we know our top three out of four hitters were gone, and uh, two of our starters and our closer, so we really had to kind of rebuild some areas of our team. I knew going in probably the bigger challenge we had would be rebuilding our pitching staff. That'll continue to be a work in progress here, I think, for three or four weeks, but I'm encouraged by what we have here. We just got to gain some experience, and that comes from playing more going to go through some good and some bad days and at the same time I think finding the right roles for people on our pitching staff so really encouraged by what I saw this last weekend especially from our position players I feel like we're going to have another chance uh, here to have an outstanding year. This weekend is kind of exciting you guys will uh, in in essence get to uh, open up the uh, U.S. Bank Stadium as a baseball facility Um, how exciting is that for you one to have the opportunity again to play indoor baseball and not have to travel all over the country to get games in this time of year and and be here home but two, um, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool facility. It's going to be hosting Super Bowls and Final Fours and all that other stuff, too. Well, we're really excited to have an opportunity to play in a a beautiful stadium, obviously. It's unique in a lot of ways because, first and foremost, the few times I've been in there, the natural light in the building is incredible. I don't know if you could create a better environment where you're playing indoors, but in some ways you feel like you're outdoors. But with that's going to come some uh, understanding of the stadium, the shadows, the the glares, uh, you know, uh, sunlight angles and, and uh, just a new building and how the ball's going to play in there and some of those things and the baggy and the corners and all these things that are unknowns to us. So it's like going to a new ballpark. We're not going to really get a chance to practice in there before Friday because of scheduling and putting the stadium back together after the uh, monster truck pull last week or whatever it is. And so um, that's going to be the interesting part is we're, we're starting a new but exciting time play at home. I'm just so glad we don't have to pack up and get to the airport again on Thursday. <laughs> that's uh, that's as, as big as anything. But a chance to play at home, 13 home games here in a three-week stretch, and, and a chance to brand our program here and for our, us to be able to work with our entire roster and stay in our own beds. And it's, gonna, and it's what we need right now to rebuild our team and our pitching staff is really an opportunity to know we're going to play over the next three weeks. Every day we're supposed to play is really going to help us develop our team for the Big Ten Conference. You mentioned the lighting and all those other things. How about just the configuration? We knew with the Metrodome, the baggy always presented an interesting challenge. And right, are there some uh, quirks that you could tell just by looking at some of the diagrams? Hard to know. Uh, you know, I think the right field corner will be a interesting play. It reminds me of Wrigley Field. There's the, the bullpens right at the short wall, and you have the high wall, kind of like target field and right field, about 20 feet from the fall line is the wall. And so I think there will be some interesting plays down in that corner. I uh, don't know how the baggie's going to play. That's that's a new world for us, but uh, uh, it's going to be really uh, pretty, pretty big stadium in right center and left center and left field, and it's gonna you're going to have to have some outfielders that can cover some ground. I think it's going to produce a lot of doubles and triples. We'll see about the home run and how the ball carries in there, but 
Um, obviously, I think there will be a ballpark that's going to have a chance to generate some offense just because I think there's a lot of space in the center of the field, and there's some interesting plays off the baggie in the right field corner. Last question for you. There was a time where it looked like maybe baseball wouldn't be played in this building, and then through some uh, lobbying and some other things, I know you were uh, vocal about it. Uh, they changed that idea and said, no, we should be playing baseball here uh, in the months of February and March and those kind of things. How how uh, happy are you now to see that, that you will get chances to, to play home games? And not just for the Gophers. We're talking Mayak teams and Northern Sun teams and really teams from all over the upper Midwest. Well, I think the state has always had a strong fabric for baseball and amateur baseball, and obviously the Metrodome allowed, I think, allowed us to grow and, and, and foster the game at the amateur level and really provided opportunities for, like you said, all levels of baseball to to uh, have a chance to play there, and I, I think it's made a difference in our sport uh, in terms of its development and its growth and the kids being able to play the game and what it's done for the small colleges. So, well, the bill always had in it there had to be baseball in the new stadium and other activities that they had in the Dome, and so that was in the bill. So we had to create a configuration that was playable, and, of course, everybody had their opinions about what they wanted out of the building. Obviously, the Vikings are the number one tenant. They've got money invested in the facility, so they had the strongest say. So when I was told by the governor and and other people at the legislature, the University of Minnesota is the highest level of you know amateur baseball in our state, and so the two of you are going to have to work out an agreement. So I got thrust in the center. I got some Viking uh, fan hate emails along the way, but that's okay. And I think we arrived at a good, solid configuration. I think it's going to work for everyone. Like I said, it's a new building and portable dugouts, and it's, it's going to have a different feel. It's not built for Major League Baseball. That's the winningest baseball coach in Big Ten history, John Anderson of the Gophers on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.